Employers must comply with a growing universe of federal, state, and local laws affecting how they hire, pay, treat, and terminate employees. Staying in compliance with these laws can be a challenge on its own, let alone when myths about how to comply creep in. If believed, these myths can lead employers down the wrong path, resulting in penalties, a damaged reputation, and other potential negative consequences. Welcome to HRpreneur. This is Jim Duffy. From Main Street to your street, the HRpreneur podcast is centered around helping small businesses like yours gain the knowledge you need, from HR, payroll, and hiring, to time, taxes, benefits, and insurance. Today, we're joined by Merrill Gooderman. Marilyn is senior counsel here at ADP. Merrill, as always, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, let's jump right in. The first myth I'd like to unpack is one we hear quite often. It's that if you pay an employee a salary, they are automatically considered exempt from overtime. Can you help us debunk our myth number one? Absolutely. I think it might be helpful to give a little background to start. So most workers are classified as non-exempt, and that means that under the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, or the FLSA, almost all employers have to pay most employees at least the minimum wage for each hour that they work, as well as overtime for all hours worked over 40 in a work week. So the FLSA also allows for some exemptions from these overtime and minimum wage requirements for certain employees who work in administrative, professional, executive, highly compensated, outside sales, and computer professional jobs. And these employees are known as exempt employees. And to be considered exempt, you have to satisfy three tests. And the first test is the salary level test. And under this test, employers have to pay employees a salary of at least $684 a week to qualify for the executive, the administrative, and the professional employee exemptions. And then employers also need to meet the salary basis test. And that means that with very limited exceptions, you have to pay employees their full salary in any week that they perform work, regardless of the quality or the quantity of the work performed. And then there's also a third test, and that's known as the duties test. And under this one, the employee's primary duties also have to meet certain criteria. So to answer your question, an employee who is paid a salary has to be treated as non-exempt unless they also meet those three tests that I talked about. So it's not just being paid that salary, it's also the duties test and the salary basis test as well. And then also keep in mind, on top of the federal law, there are some states that have their own salary requirements and their own duties tests that you may need to meet as well. That's really interesting, Merrill. Thank you for that. And I can see why correctly applying the salary and duties test is so critical. So why is it, why do you think this myth that if you pay an employee salary, they are exempt from overtime, persists? I think that one of the reasons we keep hearing about this myth is that sometimes employers conflate the term salaried with the term exempt, but under the law at least, they really do mean two different things. So under the law, salaried simply means that an employee is paid for their work by a fixed regular payment. And the truth is, a non-exempt employee can be paid a salary instead of an hourly wage. A salaried non-exempt employee would just need to be paid overtime when they work more than 40 hours in a work week. So just saying salaried doesn't necessarily mean exempt. Excellent point. So let's move on. 
The next myth, the next HR myth I'd like to tackle is um, the one that any worker can be classified as an independent contractor or just because you issue a worker a 1099 form from the IRS, you can classify them as an independent contractor. Yes, this is a myth we try to correct a lot. Employers often try to call workers independent contractors because doing so oftentimes will relieve the employer of certain taxes or overtime or benefits obligations. But just having that 1099 doesn't mean that you can classify a worker as an independent contractor. As with exemption status, you need to meet certain tests, granted these are different tests, to properly classify a worker as an independent contractor. And the presumption is that a worker is considered an employee unless they meet the criteria established by federal tests and sometimes state tests as well. And those state tests might even be more difficult to satisfy. But ultimately, only a small fraction of workers qualify for independent contractor status, and the penalties for misclassification can really be significant. So you really want to make sure you've met all applicable tests before you classify any worker as an independent contractor. And if you're not sure, the best practice is to classify your worker as an employee. Understood. So, Meryl, that brings us to the next HR myth I wanted to cover. Some employers mistakenly think that if an employee works overtime without authorization, the employer doesn't have to pay them for it. Can you clarify? Sure. That's also a common myth. And the truth is, if a non-exempt employee has worked overtime, they have to be paid an overtime premium, regardless of whether the overtime was pre-authorized. So even if you have a policy that says no overtime work is permitted, unless it's authorized in advance, this doesn't relieve you of your obligation to pay for the time worked. Employers may subject the employee to disciplinary measures for violating the policy, but in no case can the employer not pay that overtime pay. Appreciate that clarification. So, Meryl, the next myth I wanted to address is that only large employers are required to provide sexual harassment training. Can you clarify that as well? I can, and I'm really happy to debunk this myth. The reality is that certain states have training requirements that apply to all employers, This is true in Connecticut, in Illinois, and in New York as well. And then in other states, the requirement can apply to employers with 5 or 15 or 50 or more employees. Um, For example, in California, their sexual harassment training requirement applies to employers with 5 or more employees. So you want to make sure you're checking your jurisdiction's requirements. But either way, it's still a best practice to provide anti-harassment training to all of your employees and your supervisors. So, Meryl, this brings us to the fifth and final myth for today, and that one is the erroneous belief that employers may hold an employee's final paycheck until they return company equipment. Can you clarify that one for us as well? I sure can. This is another widespread myth that we can talk about. Um, The truth is, regardless of whether the employee has failed to return company property, you have to meet federal and state final pay deadlines. Federal law requires final pay at the next regularly scheduled payday, but some states require final pay sooner, such as at the time of termination. That said, there are some cases where deductions can be allowed under federal law. So if you have non-exempt employees, and remember those are the employees who are entitled to minimum wage and overtime, the FLSA will permit deductions for unreturned equipment as long as those deductions don't reduce the employee's pay below the minimum wage or cut into any overtime pay. 
but there are some states that prohibit this practice or have additional requirements. So again, you want to make sure you're checking your state law before you make any deductions. And also keep in mind that deductions for unreturned equipment are never permitted for employees who are classified as exempt from overtime. And also, if you are planning to go this route, you should get an employee's consent before you make any deduction. You should have an agreement that specifies the specific items that you're making the deduction for, whether it's company uniforms or equipment or for employee theft. And you should also specify how the amount of the deduction will be determined. And it's really a best practice to obtain the employee's authorization in writing. And I would also recommend consulting legal counsel before making this type of deduction. So, Meryl, speaking of final pay, are employers required to include unused vacation in the employee's final paycheck? That really depends on the state. There are some states that explicitly prohibit policies that force employees to forfeit unused vacation. And these are also known as use it or lose it policies. And in these states, employers are required to pay out any unused vacation at the time of separation. And then there are some states that permit use it or lose it policies, but only if the employer has a written policy that explicitly says it won't pay employees for unused vacation at separation. And then in others, employers aren't required to pay employees for unused time at separation unless they have a policy that says otherwise. So again, you need to check your state law for details to make sure you pay attention to the requirements that apply to your business. Excellent, Merrill. Thank you. This brings us to the end of this episode. And as always, it's great to have you here. Uh, I enjoyed our discussion. And I have a few recap, a few highlights here I wanted to share. So before classifying an employee as exempt from overtime, make sure they meet applicable federal and state tests. Similarly, Before classifying a worker as an independent contractor, make sure they meet applicable federal and state tests. You pay your non-exempt employees overtime pay whenever they work overtime, regardless of whether the hours were authorized in advance. Ensure employees and or supervisors are provided sexual harassment training as required by state or local law. Meet final pay deadlines regardless of whether the employee has returned company equipment. And lastly, Include unused vacation in final pay if required by state law. Presented by ADP, HRpreneur focuses on the entrepreneurs and business drivers who are shaping the growth of their companies and positively impacting the lives of their employees. With each episode, we'll bring the experts to you. We'll answer your questions and help you think beyond today so you can discover more success tomorrow. Thanks also to our listeners for joining us for today's episode. Be well, and we hope you'll join us again soon.